Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church, or it really should be you guys welcoming me because I'm just getting back after a few weeks' holiday, which was lovely. Uh, but it is really great to be back in this new year uh, and ready to spend another year listening to what God has to say to us. Uh, and today we're going to look, begin looking at the book of Ruth. It'd be really handy if you had that passage open. Uh, there'll be a link with the Luke passage that we read as well that I'll point out as we go. But Ruth chapter 1 is where we're at. That's page 267. And we're going to look at the story of Ruth or the book of Ruth over the next three weeks. Ruth is a book, at least in part, about what it looks like to walk away from God in search of greener pastures. It's a book about a struggle, perhaps, of returning to God in the midst of what feels like hopelessness. It's a book that explores a kind of hollowed-out bitterness and grief that comes along with having pretty low expectations of God. I wonder if, for one or two of you, maybe that's how you've started out the year, with pretty low expectations of what God might have to deliver on. And really, that's exactly where this book of Ruth begins. It begins with a whole family who've already made that decision to walk away from God because of their low expectations of Him. Uh, have a look with me at how uh, this story kicks off. Chapter 1, uh, verse 1 is where I'll start. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went for a while, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, there's no existential mystery as to why Naomi and her family have walked away from God at this point. There's a famine in the land of Israel, but there's still food to be found in the pagan nation of Moab. Uh, a nation that's on the other side of the Dead Sea. And in one sense, this move of theirs is hardly a surprising move. People have always relocated and migrated to where they think they can secure a better life for their family. In fact, perhaps for some of you, that's exactly how your families ended up here in Australia. And yet going to Moab for this family meant leaving Israel, the promised land the land that God had given to his people Israel, the land in which God had promised he would provide for them. Elimelech, Naomi, along with their boys, they decide to walk away from that. They decide to seek better fortunes in the enemy territory of Moab. They gamble on attempting to secure their own future blessing, but in so doing, they're walking away from God's promises. They're walking away from God himself, in fact. And it's a gamble that probably most of us will find ourselves making at one point or another. Are we better off staying or going? Perhaps there have been years of desperate prayer, but still no improvement in our health. And so we walk away from God to avoid having to endure further repeating disappointment. Maybe it's been years of turning up to meet with God's people 
here at church on Sundays, maybe even in midweek gatherings as well, years spent listening to other people's struggles and griefs, but during our own time of despair, we find ourselves ignored, overlooked, and we can't help but question why God hasn't provided for us in that moment of need. We feel God has left us empty on that front. Maybe we only began edging away from God in one small area of life, but now we discover that the whole life of faith has just dropped off suddenly from view, somewhere behind a distant horizon behind us. We, we didn't even notice it happening. And it seems like something like that is what has happened to Elimelech and Naomi at this point. Uh, have a look with me at how it continues. Verse 3. Verse 3. Uh, now Elimelech and Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, remember originally they'd just gone there to live for a little while, after they'd lived there for 10 years, both Marlon and Kilion also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. There's a whole universe of grief in those few verses, aren't there? There's the immediate and obvious grief of the bereavements, as if that's not enough just by itself. But we also notice that what started out as just a temporary trip to Moab for a little while, somewhere along the line that became a permanent arrangement. When we read that Naomi's son marry Moabite women, well then alarm bells should really be ringing in our heads. Uh, if we could have been any worse decision than leaving Israel to begin with, this was it. God had actually warned his people against taking wives from amongst the unbelieving nations around them, specifically the Moabites. We'll come back to this people group later on in our story through uh, Ruth. But have a look at these words from Deuteronomy chapter 7. As they entered into the promised land, which Naomi and her sons have left, God had said these words, do not intermarry with them, with the people around about them. Do not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Israel were to make sure that nothing would compromise their own relationship with God. And yet Elimelech and Naomi risked it all, thinking that they'd be in a better position to guarantee their own security by leaving Israel. Now, of course, we pretty much always, have far less control over the course of our lives than we like to think we do. And now Naomi finds herself in this situation without a husband, without sons, and finding herself without husbands or sons, Naomi has also lost access to her share in the family inheritance that is back in Israel. Even if she wanted to return, she's got no access to it any longer without her husband or sons. We'll come back to more of that in coming weeks. Naomi walked away. She walked away from the land of God's promise. She walked away from God himself. And instead of finding security and fulfillment, it's disaster that's greeted her. It's a decision from which there doesn't really seem to be much way back at this point. Now, of course, in God's amazing kindness, that's not where the story ends. Although Naomi walks away, she doesn't stay away. She does return, even though it's not really a very happy return. The rest of the chapter is actually devoted to Naomi's painful, her bitter experience 
of returning to God. Let's see where that's picked up for us in verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab, I wonder if you notice actually as we read through, just how often the author points out where they are. It's kind of a bit redundant over and over again. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. In verse 6, we read that Naomi and her daughters-in-law decide to return because the Lord had come to the help or the aid of his people. Literally, the phrase that's used there is God has visited his people. Now, it means exactly the same thing. I only point it out because this phrase, God has visited his people, is a phrase that repeats over and over again throughout the scriptures. In Genesis, God visits Abraham and Sarah, an elderly couple who can't have kids and who therefore can't have any descendants. And God's visit to them starts a chain reaction that leads to the miraculous birth of a son and their descendants become an entire nation. In Exodus, we read how God visited his people as they were slaves down in Egypt. Here, God's visit starts a chain reaction that frees them from slavery, giving them possession of the promised land, their own country, the very country that Naomi and her husband had left. And here in Ruth, when God visits Israel, he not only ends the famine, but he starts a chain reaction of everyday events that results in amazing blessing for Naomi, ultimately, for Israel as a nation, and the New Testament will tell us, we'll get to this later on, directly impacts upon us as well. Yet even though God's visit convinces Naomi to return home, you don't get the feeling that it's really much of a happy homecoming, do you? Although God has been amazing in visiting his people, Naomi doesn't personally expect things to get any better for her. That's why she tries to send her daughter-in-laws back to their own country. Uh, They refuse to go. Let's pick it up, though, from verse 11. Verse 11. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Notice that Naomi has not yet learnt from her original mistake. She still imagines that the only way for Orpha and Ruth to find hope, to find security, is to go back to Moab and find other husbands. Exactly the same tragic mistake that she made for her own sons. Because Naomi doesn't expect to experience God's kindness for herself, she tells the girls that there's no hope back for them in Israel either. Tragically, scandalously, 
Naomi tries to turn these widowed pagan women away from the only God who could provide them any kind of lasting security. In fact, so entrenched is poor Naomi's bitterness that in verses 19 to 21, we see she changes her name from Naomi to Mara, which means bitter. Uh, Have a look with me there, verse uh, 19. So the two women, speaking there of Ruth, who decides to continue with Naomi back to Israel, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Naomi doesn't just think that she's going through a bit of a rough patch, does she? She holds out zero hope for what the future might be. And that might not be too far away from where some of us perhaps could be. I wonder if you've ever had that point where God's goodness and generosity had seemed to slip completely from your vision. It's almost certain that we've experienced that ourselves if we're not currently. The psalmist gives voice to it himself in the scriptures. It's not an unheard of or unusual experience for those who are God's people. God may have visited Israel, but Naomi doesn't expect to share any of those benefits for herself. Bitterness is what results when we can perceive evidence of God's kindness towards everyone else other than ourselves. But not only does Naomi's return return feeling bitter, she also says she returns empty. She says in verse 21, I left full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. How things have changed. Wasn't it because of her perceived emptiness, her empty stomach, her lack of food, that she'd originally left Israel? Now she can recognize, I went away full, I left Israel originally full, now I'm really returning empty. She'd hoped that by going to Moab, she would become full. But now she recognizes it was the other way around. The emptiness that she returns home to Israel to God with is an emptiness of the soul. An emptiness that gnaws at her more relentlessly than an empty stomach ever would. She returns with no husband, no sons, no inheritance, no place. It actually reminds me, as I was reading through this opening chapter of Ruth, uh, just the last few days, reminds me of Jesus' parable a little bit of the prodigal son. You might recall that, the son who left, thinking he had much more to be gained elsewhere, returned home with very little expectation of how his father might respond to him. Like the prodigal son in Jesus' parable, Naomi returns unaware of the blessings that God might yet have in store for her. Like the prodigal son in Jesus' parable, Naomi returns humbled and broken, not expecting God to show her any kind of further kindness, not expecting it of him at all. Like the prodigal son in Jesus' parable, Naomi's return to God might seem to promise little hope of changed or improved fortunes. 
and there may be times, if it's not now, when returning to God might seem to promise very little to us as well. For Naomi, it was God's gracious visit to His people that brought her back. But what on earth could bring us back? When did God ever visit us in our distress? When has God ever visited us to coax us back under His caring wings? Of course, God's visit, recorded here in Ruth, wasn't the final visit that God ever made to His people Israel. In Luke chapter 1, reacting to the news of Jesus' coming birth, Zechariah the priest declared, God has visited His people in the birth of this child. In Luke chapter 7, the passage that we read uh, along with the chapter 1 of Ruth, it was describing that despair of a widow who Jesus met as her only son who had died was being carried out of the city. Do you remember? And Jesus raises that son from the dead and gives him back to his widowed mother. And can you remember how the crowds who witness those events respond? They use exactly the same words that are used here in Ruth chapter 1 about God visiting his people, God coming to the help or the aid of his people. They declare, God has visited us. When God visited Israel in today's story from Ruth, it was a famine that they were freed from. But in Luke's gospel, God's visit in the person of Jesus frees us from the shadow of death that is cast by our own sin. In Naomi, we receive a heartbreaking affirmation that walking away from God will only deepen our emptiness further fuel our bitterness. Perhaps having already walked away from God, some of us feel like we've really got no grounds upon which to return. Perhaps we've only just even begun to notice in ourselves those first tendencies, those first steps of walking away from God. If that's us, if we can see anything of Naomi in ourselves, then today's passage urges us to come back because God has already visited us. He's already come to our aid. God has visited us in the compassion of Jesus. God is never indifferent to our deepest shame, our insecurities, our bitterness. He answers them. He visits us in the midst of that distress and shame and bitterness. Like Naomi, we don't have to come back to God optimistic, happy, chirpy i know that's probably what other people expect of us when we turn up at church on sunday morning but that's not the grounds upon which our return should be based perhaps we're not yet able to imagine how god's visit in jesus is going to concretely do us any good perhaps like naomi we can't yet see what possible comfort god's visitation could offer us specifically in our own darkness in our own current emptiness or bitterness just like Naomi, we can come back empty and bitter if that's how we feel. We can come back expecting nothing from God if we must. If we can't think of any better reason, we can come back just because everything else has clearly failed us. Friends, bring all your bitterness and emptiness back with you to God if you need to. The book of Ruth just urges us that it's simply enough to come back. But rest assured, 
Our coming back, our return, certainly won't be overlooked or met with cold indifference by God. We might come back bitter and expecting nothing. That doesn't mean that that's how God is intending to welcome us. And we'll see more of how God returns, how God responds to even those returning with deep bitterness in the coming weeks. But let's pray now for those of us who now or in the future might expect little of God, that in his kindness and his grace he might help us remember to return to him wherever it is that we find ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we've just started a new year. Some of us have begun that year with high expectations that may well be dashed. Others of us have begun the year with next to no expectations for ourselves or even of you. Father, whatever it is that we're bearing up under the weight of, we ask that you might help us never to imagine that we might find greater security elsewhere in our own strength. Whether it's half a step that we've taken away from you, or whether we've turned around to see you've disappeared over the far distant horizon, Father, we ask that in your kindness, your visit to us in the Lord Jesus might draw us back to you. And in the coming weeks, Father, where there is only bitterness, we ask that you might seed joy and hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.